Good morning, Tom Ram from Tom's Big Spiders here, shooting this one on a Friday afternoon. We had a half day of school because of parent-teacher conferences, so I figured it would be a good time while the house is quiet to get one of these done. I think that's the biggest issue with trying to do the podcast is my house is crazy and trying to find time where I can actually sit down and have some peace and quiet to do one of these. Uh, it becomes very, very difficult because I'm usually limited to the weekend. My kids are getting up and... They really don't want to tiptoe around the house, nor is it fair to make them do. So we try to find times where everybody's upstairs doing something else, and I sneak down here. But right now, I got the house to myself, so we're going to get going with this one. So the last podcast, I did my top 10 favorite tarantulas lists, and as I did last time with my two other lists, I goofed up. And this is the problem with these guys. I, these things start with like 50 spiders on it. It's really tough because I love everything I keep. That's not an exaggeration. There's nothing I have in my collection that I don't like, and then it's just trying to find ones that particularly stand out for me. So what I do is I make a huge list, I start paring it down, I get it down to, you know, 25, and I get it down to 20, and I get down to 15. I didn't want to just ramble on forever with a top 25 list, so I got it down to 15. Well, unfortunately, I got an email from somebody I talked to quite a bit, Ben, I believe it's Newells, or Niels. Ben, I apologize if I'm pronouncing your name wrong, I've been practicing this for like 10 minutes before I started recording it, hoping I get it right. Please feel free to connect, uh, correct me with the phonetic pronunciation because I can't stand pronouncing people's names wrong. But uh, Ben pointed out that the Sturmy didn't make it on the list. And, and he said he was surprised. And you know what, Ben? I was too because it was actually supposed to be there on like around number three or number two. I was trying to decide which and somehow I double numbered again. So this was the same thing that happened when I did my favorite New World Species videos, I accidentally double-numbered GBB with something else, and it got left off the list. So once again, I left one of my favorite all-time spiders off the list. I don't know why I keep doing it with these things. I I suppose it makes them funny. It gives me something to talk about after the fact. But one of these days, I'm actually going to nail this one down and not forget an important spider. So yes, they should be up there. It should be in the top three. It's one of my favorite species. I've gone through many times why I love the Theraphosa species. They're just enormous, and I can't get over the size of them. They're just amazing to watch. It's like when I was a kid, I was scared of spiders, and you would see movies with giant spiders in them, and I would be in awe. And a lot of that awe has worn off after years in the hobby. I'm not afraid of them anymore. I see them as just beautiful animals, and I miss it, kind of. And the T-Sturmy, or the, you know, I've got some Blondie that I'm raising up now, two slings, or Blondie, whichever way you want to pronounce it. I've got some I'm raising up. They're just something about they grow so quickly. You start off with little teeny slings. Next thing you know, you know, within a year, I had something that was bigger than most of my adult tarantulas. That's astounding to me and just is never going to get old. I know some people complain that they're just big brown spiders. I, I get it, I guess. For me, it's not the case. I think they're absolutely amazing looking. I'm still just in awe of their size, watching them move. They are very, very quick. One thing I've been commenting on, quite a bit lately is what isn't discussed a lot is how fast they are as slings. These are some of the fastest spiders I have as far as hunting and moving. Like they can really get around. And I think it's lost in the shuffle with the fact they're just so huge and put on so much size. Those little guys boogie. I dropped a roach in the other day to feed one of my blondies and it bolted out, grabbed that roach, flipped over and was back in its enclosure and literally, I mean, in its den, literally in like a blink of an eye. You couldn't even, if you'd recorded it, you would have had to slow it down, super slow motion to even catch it. So they move very, very quickly. Just an amazing spider. So once again, I do a list. Once again, I messed the whole thing up by forgetting one of my favorite tarantulas. So the GBB made it back onto the list this year as it should. And the poor T-Sturmy was left off. So my apologies 
Ben, you're absolutely right. It should have been on the list, so let's just pretend like it's in there. We'll just put it in there at number two, and we'll move everybody else, so we'll do a top 16 now. And I honestly can't remember what the other ones were at this point. I'm trying to find my list around here, but I don't see it on my desk. But I'll probably tackle this again sometime because it is they are fun to do. The funny thing about the list is they're probably the least educational thing I do, but people love lists. So like anytime I do a list video or a list podcast, people turn out in droves to see them, which I always find interesting. So they're a fun thing to do. They bring some people hopefully over to the podcast that maybe haven't listened before, and hopefully they'll stick around for some of the more educational stuff. So moving on, we had our first official snowstorm of the year last night. Um, kind of depressed only because... I love fall. I love autumn. It's my favorite season, and I'm a winter guy as well. I love I love the cold weather, but there's just something about autumn with the leaves changing and those temperatures that uh, Billy and I go out and do a long walk every day, and it's just you can go out there with just a sweatshirt on, feel comfortable. But we literally went from having a couple 90-degree days to like 30 degrees, it seemed like, over a two-week span. So we didn't get a lot of fall this time around. And then it went right to the cold stuff. And that means it's time to start thinking about winterizing, for lack of a better word, the tarantula room. But I have had some people ask me lately what I do to go about as far as getting prepared for the winter. And again, I have to point out that I have the very fortunate situation where I have a tarantula room. So for people that don't have a tarantula room, we'll try to discuss some things you can do. But I have a room for them, so it's a lot easier to do some of the things I'm doing because it's not like I have to worry about the rest of the house. I can just concentrate on creating an appropriate climate or whatnot in that one room. But with the winter coming, I've had to take and clean my humidifier, which had been sitting there, unfortunately, like an idiot. I unplugged it when summer came around and the humidity started picking up. And I'm like, I got to clean this thing out. And I left it sitting there. So it felt kind of weird all of a sudden be cleaning the thing out, getting it ready for winter. But uh, a lot of people ask, do I need a humidifier? And and here's my take on this. And I've, I've seen arguments and people are like, well, you can you can basically manage the inside of the enclosures, you can manage, you know, just add extra water to the substrate to keep the moisture levels up when it gets drier. And that's all great. But here's the deal for some of us who live in areas where it gets very cold in the winter, we have furnaces, especially those who have forced hot air and get really bad, but they drastically dry out the air. Now, I don't put a lot of stake in the hygrometers that they sell. The little plastic Petco ones are pretty much garbage, and I do have an electronic one that actually does a pretty good job. It matches up usually if the weatherman says that humidity outside is around 80%, it usually reflects it somewhere around 80%. So it gives me a ballpark figure. So I'm not talking about actual hardcore accurate numbers, but it will give you an idea of if the humidity in your house is high, if the humidity in your house is normal, or if the humidity in your house is low. And what happens around here is once the heat starts running on those really cold days, the air in my house becomes incredibly dry. We're talking about the point where it's dry even for people, where you can kind of scratch your name into your skin because your skin's so dry with a fingernail, you know, that type of dry. And that basically makes it very difficult or makes it much more difficult to keep the tarantula cages that you need to keep moist hydrated. So when I run a humidifier, and I want to make this clear because I've had some people ask about it and I've had to explain, I'm not trying to jack the humidity up in that room to 60-70%. Not at all. What happens is we've measured the humidity around here during the cold. So like when we have a cold streak where it's like, you know, hits zero degrees outside or 20 degrees, when we run the humidifier or don't run the humidifier, the air in this house can get into the single digits as far as dryness. And you can tell because everybody in the house just gets very dry skin. It's not... 
it doesn't matter how accurate the humidif- the hygrometer is, it's blatantly obvious it's very dry in here. And that's the type of dryness that if you have little enclosures, as much as you may moisten those things down, that is going to evaporate super quickly. The air is just sucking all the moisture out of everything. So about four, three or four years ago, I found that I was having a really difficult time keeping the moisture levels up when I started getting some of my, you know, moisture-loving species, moisture-dependent species that were in the larger enclosures. I remember I had my Kilobrachis species guangziensis, and I had moistened, I poured a bunch of water, probably close to a liter of water into her enclosure using that bottle I have where I spray it all around, get everything nice and soaked. And I went to feed her about a week later, pulled it out, her substrate was almost bone dry already. The air was just siphoning the moisture right out of it. So we started looking at what I could do as far as humidifiers. And what I ended up picking up was like a little, I think it's a brown two gallon humidifier. I believe it's one of the cold ones, not the hot ones that produce steam, but one of the ultrasonic ones. And I picked up a two gallon one and that I use basically just to take the edge. It adds a little bit of moisture to the air. So on the really, really cold days where the furnace has been running for you know a few days in a row really drying out the air it allows me to keep it at a healthier level and keep those cages from evaporating so usually like right now I have one running in my room because it has been a little cold we got the snow obviously and it's been running since last night and the humidity in there right now is about 45 percent according to my plastic digital hygrometer which gives me a ballpark it's it's in the mid-range so what that does is keep the water dishes from evaporating too quickly and it keeps the actual substrate from the water in the substrate from evaporating too quickly and makes it a lot easier especially if you have a larger collection it can be very difficult to keep the moisture levels up in all of those cages you almost have to check them two or three times a week when it gets really really dry now if it hits like zero degrees in here it usually keeps it around 30 to 35 percent humidity and Again, it's better than having it be 8 or 5%. We actually, at one point, it was so dry in here, it was probably unhealthy for us. We started running humidifiers even in other rooms. But it allows for you, again, it's not going to be in lieu of moistening the substrate. And I want to make that very clear because I had people tell me, yeah, I I let them dry out because I use a, a humidifier like you. And it's like, no, no, no. The humidifier is just to keep them from drying out too quickly. That, I I still have to keep all of my moisture-dependent species moist so for example i had to pull my tea blondies out the other day just two days ago make sure i check their water dishes make sure the water dishes are full make sure i moisten down the substrate keep it nice and moist took my kilobrachis species out same thing got to keep those things moist so it isn't in lieu of keeping them moist it just helps you keep things a little little moister so that they don't evaporate quickly because i'm telling you in the winter time you'd be amazed how quickly this stuff can evaporate Now, if you're one of those folks that lives in the colder climes and you have a lot of moisture-dependent species and you feed them on a bi-weekly schedule, I would encourage you to check them a little more often. And I think most people probably naturally gravitate toward doing that anyway. But that's one of the reasons I feed my guys weekly. It means once a week I'm really digging into those enclosures, checking everything out, removing boluses, checking moisture levels. And if I find something's evaporating too quickly, I can make a note of it and make sure I add moisture more often. But it is, it's something you need to pay more attention to in the wintertime. In the summer here it gets very, very humid, so I don't have to worry about it as much. And I will let some enclosures dry out a bit for my moisture-dependent species because it becomes overkill. If you have, you know, 80, 90 percent humidity in your house is one of those nasty hot humid sticky days 
you don't need a bunch of moisture in there. That's overkill. That's just going to lead to stuffy conditions. But in the wintertime, it's more important to keep track of them. So I do encourage folks, if you have collections, you do want to keep an eye on them during the winter more so than you would in the summer months. And that's, I think, really important. I think a lot of us are getting the new, they're new into the hobby. Check them constantly. Anyway, we can't help it. It's those of us who have been in for a little while, you get that point, you're like, yeah, they're all right. And you forget to check them for a little while and you realize that things can dry out very, very quickly, especially for slings. And that's where I've alluded to this before and talked about it before. I think I did it in a video, explained what I do, but I will make a quote unquote kind of like an incubator for my slings in which basically what I do is use a larger Tupperware container ventilate it really well on the sides you know you want to have good ventilation and then i take the smaller sling enclosures and i put them inside of this and then what i do is put an open container of water inside you could also use paper towels i've done it that way in the past where i line the bottom of it with moist paper towels and basically what you do is that allows you to mist down the whole enclosure and keep things nice and moist so i can basically feed my spiders put them in there moisten up that paper towel or i've moved away i, I do keep paper towels in there now and i will missed it up but normally what i do is take a nice like 16 ounce deli cup take the lid off put it right in the middle fill it full of water and then leave that in there because the problem is with those tiny sling enclosures there is not a lot of substrate in there and those can evaporate and dry out very quickly i've seen them do it in a matter of days even a couple days when you moisten them down i have a bunch right now that i'm putting in you know i haven't had to use it in the summer but i'm getting ready putting my little incubator or nursery whatever you want to call it nursery is probably a better word for it together and putting the slings in it because i'm watching these things dry out so quickly so what you do is if, if you put that open container of water in there and you can also take the top of the lid and if you're afraid of it splashing around, and what I've done is taken the top of the lid and put a bunch of holes in it with the soldering iron so it's pretty well ventilated. And that water will continue to evaporate and fill in that enclosure and fill up that enclosure and keep the humidity level in that enclosure much higher than that of the you know surroundings outside, whatever room you're in, whether it's in your living room or whether you have a tarantula room, and take some of the heat off you as far as having to make sure that those enclosures don't dry out. Usually when I do this, I can get you know a week or even more when I moisten the substrate in the sling enclosures before they dry out as opposed to now like when the heat kicked on a couple days ago and we got some really cold weather those things were drying out in a day or two no problem so i find this is a really good way to just keep your slings in one spot make sure they don't get dried out too quickly it also makes it very easy for feeding time because when i feed my slings and i do feed my slings twice a week because i like to check on them more often instead of pulling out all the different enclosures everything i pick up my nursery walk it over to the table feed all my slings one by one moisten to make sure that water's clean you know you can take the water and dump it out every time you check it fill it with fresh water missed it if i want to miss the paper towels stick them all back in they go on the shelf it makes it very very easy so i do encourage people to have a lot of slings you know you can even use i've i've done it before where i actually had an acrylic enclosure that i wasn't using it was one of the lorex plastic ones that i didn't have a spider in for a while and i used one of those to set up my nursery so i basically it had ventilation i would have paper towels on the bottom put all my things in and have that big open container at one time this was a bigger enclosure so my open container was actually a mini critter keeper the bottom part of it and i filled that with water and stuck it in there but it works great makes them so that you know it, it's a piece it's a, it gives you a little bit more peace of mind that they're not going to dry out because this is the type of year with the winter coming when your your slings could have problems molting and could dry out they become desiccated very very quickly they don't have that waxy coating on their cuticles like the adults have so if you don't make sure to keep them hydrated you could lose slings and that happens a lot and Moving into kind of the same area, we want to talk about temperatures as well. I caution people that 
don't worry so much about the temperatures in your home. When I first got heavy into this hobby and was getting slings, the tarantula room was not heated. The tarantula room was off. It was one of the warmer rooms in the house, but the temperatures in the tarantula room would often dip down into the 60s, the high 60s. And during that time, I had uh, I was raising GBBs. Lazy Adora Parahibana sling. I had a P. Muranus or OBT sling. I had, uh, what else was there? At the time, Avicularia versicolor. There you go. And a bunch of, it was a lot of slings in there. But I remember those being, you know, specifically, especially the versicolor where they're known to be a little more fragile. It would dip down sometimes, you know, not for long stretches of time, but we'd get weather, it would get really cold, and the weather in that room would dip down to like 68, sometimes 67 for a couple days, and they did just fine. The thing is, you're going to get slower growth rates, but that's not necessarily a bad thing, and that's quite frankly what a lot of these guys are going to get in their natural environments. They're going to have temperatures that dip down. Some of them come from places where it gets very, very cold. We're talking 40s, even high 30s, and so they would just slow down and not eat as much. It's not like us with the cold where they're going to be there shivering and need to warm up. They're just going to slow down a bit and stop eating. So it's important to recognize before you start panicking about temperatures and using alternate heat sources that you think about the fact, how cold does my house really get? And this is where I usually encourage people to kind of monitor the temps where they're placing them. So say you have your own tarantula room. Easy. Stick a thermometer in there, a good thermometer, and register the temperatures when it hits really low temperatures outside. That's what you want to kind of pay attention to. Sometimes the heat runs more and it actually gets warmer in there than when it's a little bit warmer outside. So for example, when it hits like 50s around here, it's usually actually a little cooler in my tarantula room because my heat isn't running as much. So kind of monitor your temperatures. If they're remaining through the most of the winter, high 60s, low 70s, you're in good shape. I wouldn't use any extra heating. You don't need to. Yes, your guys might not be growing as quickly, and I've found that I talked to some people, and I get it. I totally do because this is kind of one of the reasons why I started using some heat in my tarantula room. When you hear people buying things at the same time as you, and they're like, oh, my LP is already four inches, and you're looking down, and like, well, mine's two. I get it. We want them to grow faster, and they do grow faster with higher temps. I say that in every single husbandry note or video I do just so people are aware of it, but it doesn't necessarily mean they they need the higher temps. So for those of you who are in houses that are in the high 60s, low 70s most of the winter, you're probably in really good shape. Now, I hear from a lot of folks in Scotland and Ireland. I don't know if any of you guys are listening to the podcast. If you are, please stop in and say hello. But I know that houses there, it sounds like they get a lot chillier during the winter time. And so that is something where you might need an extra heat source. The first and best thing I think anybody can use are the portable space heaters. A lot of them have the, the oil-filled ones that you can wheel around. They look like little you know, radiators. I have one of those, and they work fantastically. And that's something that you can use as far as like heating a whole room. It works really well. Or you know, if you're in a living room and your house is like 50-something degrees, I'm guessing that's probably a little uncomfortable for you guys as well. So maybe sticking one in there. You know, Everybody benefits from it. People get a little warmer. Spiders get a little warmer. But if it dips down into the low 60s for some of these species, or I've had people tell me their house is in the mid-50s, that's like my bedroom right now. I couldn't keep tarantulas in the bedroom. It drives Billy nuts sometimes, but like sometimes I'll crack the door, the window open when it's like 30 degrees. So our bedroom right now is probably in the mid-50s. It's probably been even lower than that. So that's obviously not a great place to keep tarantulas. So I wouldn't be able to keep them there. But if that's your living room temperature, yeah, you're going to need some heat. So 
probably the best place to start is always those space heaters. They work really well. They, a lot of people use them now. You just got to make sure that you're not using them in a place that's very crowded or that they don't have enough room to throw off their heat without any risk of fire. I mean, that's the one thing that kind of freaks a lot of people out. But personally, I started using one because I basically got to the point where I wanted to see some faster growth rate for some of my guys. I was writing a lot of articles about them and I did think it would be kind of cool to kind of jack up the temps just a little bit. And if anybody you know reads my articles or watches my videos, I, that heater doesn't run very much. In the wintertime, I have it set so that basically if the temperature drops below 72 in that room, it kicks back on. And between that and my actual furnace running, what usually happens is we maintain a temperature around 73 to 76 or so. And that's about it. I'm not doing 80 degrees. I'm not jacking it up trying to get you know super fast growth rates. But I did want to keep it above 60s, but I could have just continued along with the hobby without having the heater in there. It was just I decided I wanted to just heat things up just a little bit. But if you decide to heat, that's a great alternative. If you want to heat, if you figure out that you can't run one of those, and I know for some people just the electric bill's too high or they're in an apartment where they won't allow them to have one or they just don't have a situation where they can really heat like that, then the next thing you can do is look into heating a larger enclosure and putting your guys in it. So somebody sent me, I tried to find the email, but they had set up, they had a huge 50-gallon aquarium and they basically had a very cold house in their apartment. It was an apartment, it was a drafty apartment, old house. And they couldn't use the space heater because the landlord said the electric was too old. It was going to blow the electric, whatever. So what they did was created kind of a little microclimate inside this giant 50-gallon aquarium. And what they did was used heat mats backed with foam. You can buy the foam insulation, kind of the same stuff that they use to pack but you can get the stuff with foil and basically what you can do is tape the heat the heating element the heat mat to this and mount it on the back of the aquarium and then use a rheostat to basically control the inside in there and it can be a little tricky when using an aquarium because again you always want to make sure that you have proper ventilation and those heat mats don't throw off a whole bunch of heat they're not made that way however with the right setup, with some foam behind them, with some maybe foam insulation around some of the sides of the actual aquarium, they can heat a smaller area and raise it a few degrees to several degrees. So I think they're a safer alternative than, say, a heat lamp, and we'll get to that one in a minute because I had had somebody contact me and did something interesting with heat lamps, but they're a little safer than heat lamps. You just need to make sure that you hook them up properly with a rheostat and that before you actually put your spiders in it, you spend a couple weeks monitoring the levels in it. You want to make sure you know exactly how much you're going to be raising those temps on the inside. Again, having the rheostat properly hooked up so that you can keep track of those is crucial, I think. You don't want to mess around and try to play this by feel or whatever. Make sure that you know exactly what's going on. So, for example, you want to wait till your heat goes on because... What ends up happening in most rooms is you have your main thermostat, say, in your living room. When that living room temperature drops down, your thermostat goes, oh, we got to raise it again. But sometimes the rooms surrounding it keep nice and warm. They stay nice and warm. So what happens is that heat kicks on and those go even higher. So make sure you track, you know, different parts of your house to figure out what the temperatures are. Make sure you know the ambient temperature in the room that you're going to try to put these guys in and then monitor it for a little while before you use it. But this is, you don't obviously need to use a 50 gallon enclosure. You can use something smaller, but this is a good way to heat them to make sure that you're not heating individual enclosures. You do not want to try to heat individual spider enclosures with heat mats 
or heat rocks or anything of that nature, that's not a good way to go. That can be dangerous. That can result in dead spiders. But if you can heat a larger area, and only by, I mean, again, if your house is 60 degrees, a little on the low end, you just want to bump it up a little bit so it's a little bit warmer in there. Make sure you create something that allows for ventilation in the top but at the same time, not too much ventilation because you want to keep some of that heat in. And then just monitor it for a while and do it that way. I have had people, uh, one in particular did a really nice job. They built basically this giant display cabinet out of wood. And they used heat lamps in the back of the cabinet to basically heat the insides of the whole cabinet was heated. And then they put their enclosures in there. And we're talking, this was a big cab. This thing had to go three by three by four. Maybe it was a big old enclosure. And they basically used a heat lamp to make sure that they kept the temperature inside a steady, I think it was like 72, 73 degrees, because I believe they were keeping them in their garage at the time. And they didn't want the garage got very cold. So this is how they heated it. And it sounded like it worked pretty good. If you do something like this, though, do keep in mind those heat lamps. You need to make sure that they're not directly on the tarantulas. That's not a good thing. You don't. They will dry them up and, and desiccate them very, very quickly. You also, I would think with something like that, and this person did that, they had an open thing of water in it to also keep the humidity up to keep the air from drying out. But that's something you're not just going to want to break out on a whim. Like, oh, honey, the weather got cold. Let's take this big enclosure and, and put a heat lamp in. Again, it's going to take time for you. You're going to want to make sure you hook it up to a rheostat. Make sure you're measuring the temps in there as you go and make sure you don't create an environment that's going to end up killing your spider so can a heat lamp work the ceramic ones without light that last a while if done correctly in a situation like that probably could i just think they're going to be it's going to be a, a lot of trouble and i know the folks that did this i believe she spent a lot of time building this thing up and again it was really cool it was working great and i think as it i think if it all if i remember correctly it turned out they ended up bringing the tarantulas in the house anyway so it can be done. Just know it's not simple. I do think the heat mats are probably a safer alternative. And again, you don't ever want to try to heat things individually. That's not a good situation. I just gotten, I'll say it flat out. It was kind of an argument with a guy over email because he's like, yeah, you can absolutely heat them safely with a, a light. And he had this long convoluted method of setting up a heat lamp and then using one of those uh, thermometers that you point at something to register the different levels in the enclosure. And it was all this stuff that just, it didn't make any sense to me. And then I tried to explain that on a really hot day, if you're not around and that heat lamp doesn't go off, you're going to end up with a fried spider, but whatever, whatever works for people. And again, I'm very open-minded in this hobby. I try to, I can't tell you how much I learned from other people contacting me or taking in information that, you know, from what other people say, I'm always willing to try anything. But I do think over the years, the one thing we have proven is that heat lamps and heat rocks can be very dangerous for them. They will hug heat sources and they won't move. So unlike a snake, I used to have reptiles, if I feed my snakes, like last night I fed my two, or two nights ago I fed up my snakes, they're all on the hot end of the enclosure. When I was under the heat rock, they're on the heat, um, the heat mats, basically using that to digest their food. They're absorbing that heat. They're using it to raise their body temperatures, digest the food. Once they're done digesting, both of them will usually go to the opposite end of the enclosure so they're not on the hot side. That's normal. Unfortunately, with tarantulas, what they will do is hug that heat source to the point where they start drying out. They start becoming desiccated. And because of the way they're able to move, the way they propel themselves using that kind of for lack of a better term, almost like hydraulics, they pump fluid through it. If they get too desiccated, they're no longer able to move their limbs. And then what ends up happening is they hug that spot until they basically die, can't move, 
can't temperature regulate by going to a colder area and then they dehydrate and die. So that's why it's so dangerous. And with heat lamps, they not only provide a lot of heat and usually more heat than you need for a tarantula, but they also dry the stuff out. So that's why we stay away from it. Heat rocks, the same thing. I am very fortunate because when I first got my spider, we had a tiny little apartment, Billy and I, and we had a storm one night during the winter. And basically, it got super cold in the apartment. The furnace wasn't able to keep up with it as well, and it got really chilly. And although my snakes and everything were fine because they all had heat lamps, my poor G. Porteri G. Rosea, the queen, the one I've had for years, I was afraid she was going to die because it was too cold. Little did I know she would have been perfectly fine. It was probably 60s in there. She was fine. So what I did was took one of those reptile heat rocks and stuck it in there. And, of course, I come back the next day. She's sitting right on top of the heat rock like, man, she likes it. And luckily it had warmed up after that, so I pulled the rock out and I never used it again. But that could have been that could have led to a dead spider. That could have led to no Tom's big spiders because she would have died. I would have went, Oh, I killed the thing, what happened? I don't get it. And I never would have gotten into the hobby. So just to show you again how bad husbandry was back then and how those heat rocks can be dangerous, I almost did it myself. So again, when trying to figure out what to do with them, the best bet is to try to heat the whole room if possible. Now Some people are sitting there right now going, well, that's kind of difficult. I have them in my living room. There's a big display. Well, some species, the other thing you can do is do a little research, figure out which species are going to be okay with those colder temps. If you go onto the World Spider Catalog and look where some of these species are from and then hop on and look at what the local climates are for those regions, you will most likely stumble onto the fact that a lot of them go through cold stretches. So if you're keeping, you know, some of the brachypelmas, the um, gramostola, the afonopelmas, those all go through periods where it gets quite cold. Now, you may have a spider that fasts for a little while in the wintertime. I know my G. Pokerpees, when it used to get a little colder in that room, would disappear for the entire winter. My afonopelma, Nikki, named after Nikki Minaj, yep, I'm going to call myself out on that one, used to hide. She still does. She buries herself for the winter. But that's totally normal. That's not going to hurt your spiders, and that keeps you from accidentally frying them by hooking up, jerry-rigging some type of heating element. So, do a little research, go through, this is where, you know, the research comes in handy, and look and see, is this a species that's going to do okay? If your spider takes the winter off from eating, if it's well-fed beforehand, if you keep water in there, it's going to be fine for the most instances. If you have ones, now say you've just bought some slings and it's a tropical species and you're a little worried about it dropping, I've alluded to this before, the temperature in your house where your thermostat is, that's basically telling you what your temp in your living room is or whatever room is, is a little lower than what it is above the thermostat. So what I mean by that is right now my my thermostat is about halfway up the wall, about three and a half, four feet up the wall. If you have shelves that are higher up, it's always going to be a little warmer. Heat rises. We all learn this in science class in like the second, third, fourth grade or whatever it is. And if you put your your animals a little higher up on a higher up shelf in a warmer section of the room, they're probably going to have three, four, sometimes if I've literally measured a six degree difference between the bottom some of the bottom shelves and the top shelves in my tarantula room. There's that much of a difference. So sometimes just using a little, you know, basic science, going around your living room, figuring out, all right, I have a heater here, one of those, you know, baseboard heaters. And if I put my shelf above the heater, just above the the ceiling and put my little slings on or whatever, it's going to be like five or six degrees warmer up there. That's perfect. Or I've had people tell me, like, if you have a room that gets a lot of traffic in the wintertime, so that door's opening and closing, even though the technical, you know, if you measure the temperature in there, it's usually 70 degrees. With that door opening all the time in the winter, that's bursts of cold air that's going to kind of screw things up and could kind of chill your tarantulas in a way you don't want them chilled. 
So you may think about moving them to a different room. I was talking to somebody that said they keep, during the summertime, they keep their tarantulas all in their living room. They like showing them off to people. And then the wintertime, they remove them and move them to another room because it's just easier to heat. So you can be creative with it. I know it all ideally. And again, I do know how lucky I am. People are like, oh, you son of a gun. You must, you have it made. You have your own tarantula room. Believe me, I get it. And I understand that. But even if you don't, there are things you can do to kind of make your life a little easier. So I know we all love to display our animals. We're proud of them. But if there's a warmer part of your house, if there's a warmer room in your house, then sometimes it's easier rather than trying to rig up some type of heating arrangement to move them to that warmer room. Another trick that can work really well is for those of you that keep aquariums. This is a a wonderful one, and I almost thought about getting a fish tank in my tarantula room to do this, to use this for my slings and make it a little easier. But if you have a big aquarium, obviously that water evaporates, and if it's heated, that's warm water evaporating, so you're going to have a little elevation in the temperature above it. So some people will go ahead and put a shelf above the aquarium and use some of that heat that's coming off and some of that humidity and moisture that's coming off to basically heat and keep the air from drying out in their sling enclosures. So that's something you can do as well. And for those of us who have other animals, such as reptiles and snakes, I have used the strategic positioning of the heat lamps that are directed on the snakes and reptiles. Keep in mind, I'm not directing them on the tarantulas. But for example, my carpet python has a ceramic heater on it, one of those dome lamps, And it gives off heat around the lamp. Obviously, some of it comes out. So I've actually strategically positioned shelves around it to use some of that heat that's thrown off to heat other things. And this is one of the places I keep my scorpions because it actually allows me to keep one end of the scorpion tank around 82 degrees, the other end a little cooler. So you can use some of that. And I've talked to other people. I'm I worry sometimes about mentioning it because people freak out anytime you say heat lamps, but you're not, you're using the heat that's coming off the lamp kind of around it. Even putting a shelf above it will sometimes work. That heat will rise, hit the bottom of that shelf, kind of keep that shelf heated. So there are some tricks you can use rather than just breaking out heat mats and trying to use heat lights or ceramic heaters for your tarantulas. There are some tricks you can do as far as just where you locate shelves, which rooms you use, and things of that nature to make sure they stay adequately warm during the winter. But again, Don't lose sight of the fact that a lot of the species available out there now are incredibly hardy and do perfectly fine at lower temperatures. And I'm willing to bet that a lot of them will do fine if it dips into the mid to low 60s. You just want to make sure that if you have any concerns, reach out, talk to somebody that's kept them cooler. Obviously, I get emails all the time asking, hey, dip down to like 68 in here with my El Parahibana. Is it going to die? Is this a bad thing? And I tell them, nope, don't worry about it. They're totally fine. Mine used to do that all the time. It's just going to grow slower. But reach out. Look up things on the World Spider Catalog, see where they come from, see what the weather gets to. If you see that the weather dips down, if there's a season where it dips to 55 degrees, guess what? You're fine. The only quote-unquote negative consequence you'll have is your spider will grow a little bit slower. And I can tell you that, you know, just to give you an example of what I mean, my P. murinus or murinus, my OBT, was a very, very slow grower. I have a friend of mine that bought one right around the same time that basically grew laps around mine. I think hers was around four inches in the time that mine was about an inch and a half. And her temps were in the 80s. Mine would dip down low in the wintertime. This spider's perfectly fine. It's healthy. It's eating. It had no negative consequences. I will probably have it longer. So again, I see it as a win-win. So when winterizing, just a couple tips. Again, try to be strategic where you put your animals. If you're worried about you know high traffic areas where there's constantly a cold breeze coming in, you're right. That's probably not a good place to put them. Find a warmer room, even if it means moving them to a bedroom or someplace. It's just for one season, maybe two or three months, and then you can move them back. 
stay away from heat lamps, stay away from heat rocks. If you run a furnace or if you have a fireplace, a fireplace really dries things out. Try to keep the spiders away from the fireplace, obviously. But I would encourage running a humidifier. It's healthier for your skin, too, honestly. We have my, a lot of my kids have that itchy, dry skin during the wintertime, so we're actually getting a big one to run in the downstairs, the whole house. But definitely pick up a humidifier. Again, you're not using the humidifier to raise the humidity to in lieu of keeping the substrate moist. This is just going to make it easier to keep your substrate moist and from drying out. For larger specimens, if you're worried about them drying out, you can also increase the size of water dishes or add double water dishes. I've done that with some of my Formictopus and Pamphibedia species and my Therifosa. I've added an extra water dish to make sure that basically they stay hydrated so you, you moisten down the substrate. But the extra water dishes, that's more water to evaporate in the air, more chances for it to get hydrated if it needs a drink. For slings, try using a nursery or a larger container where you can basically put an open water container in it to make sure that the inside of that enclosure doesn't evaporate out as quickly. It keeps it hydrated, keeps little enclosures inside from evaporating too quickly. Because again, those little vials, doesn't take long for those to dry out completely. And that could be a nightmare for tiny slings, especially around molting time. And finally, research is your friend. So if you know winter's coming and you have a collection of several tarantulas, take some time, hop online, figure out where they originate from, and check out the local weather there, the climate. Find out, are there periods where it drops for you know long lengths of time below 60 degrees? If so, that should set your mind at ease that you guys are going to be okay. I understand that we want to keep them warmer and we want that faster growth rate, but in the grand scheme of things, don't make it more difficult than you have to. So if you find out that your temperature is 62 degrees and you have a Bialbopelosum, which experiences weather even colder than that, you're in good shape. Don't worry about it. Just stick them in a warmer corner if you're really that worried and, and move on. So that should about do it for this one. Again, I'm always getting tips from other people. I don't come up with all of these things, and I hope nobody thinks I'm trying to say that I do. Um, a lot of them I've been doing for a long time, but I did not reinvent the wheel. A lot of tips and tricks I picked up online talking to other people. So if you have other things that you do to winterize your tarantulas, please let us know, and we can include it on an update later on, or I can respond to it in the next podcast. We can open with that and maybe get some of this information out there as my dogs shake off and snort in the background. I'm not going to edit this one out. We'll leave it in there. It's toward the end. And there we go again. This is this is what it's like to try to do one of these. It's trying to dodge. This is why I talk so quickly because I'm trying to get all the words in before my dogs do something in the background. So anyway, that'll about do it for this one. As usual, you can check me out at tomsbigspiders.com or my YouTube channel, Tom's Big Spiders. Or just look up Tom Moran or Tom Moran, whatever you want to pronounce it. Either or is fine with me. It's like those uh, scientific names, whatever. Float your boat. And then, obviously, you can respond to this one on Facebook. I've been back on Facebook. I've been kind of taking a break. And, and just so you're aware, if you posted something on there and I didn't catch it right away and it looks like I threw up like, hey, the newest podcast is there, I can put those post podcast posts up from the site where I do the podcast. I don't even have to go on Facebook. I had somebody like, oh, I saw you were on Facebook posting. And I was hoping you were going to answer this. I hadn't been on Facebook. I hadn't noticed it. But I took a little step away from Facebook because of all the negativity going around lately on some of the uh, boards and stuff. I just hate seeing that so I've just been avoiding it but I'm trying to catch back up with comments and stuff so I'll be there more often I'll be checking for this one because I would like to hear how do you winterize them and what species do you have and I'm going to throw this one out there and hope some people respond what is the coolest you've kept your tarantulas what is the coolest it's gotten in that room let's get some information out there for people that are worried about this because I know some people hear it but they don't want to believe it I will tell you it's dipped down to 65 in my tarantula room when I had slings and they all did fine and granted, it was only for a couple days, but this is when temps were like in the low 70s, high 60s. 
and they did perfectly okay. So I would love to hear from people because I think a lot of it, and again, I'm the same way. I got the heater in there. You worry sometimes. It gets a little cooler. We've lost power, and I've, I've tried to keep the temperatures up there, so I get that fear. But I think they're a lot hardier than we give them credit for. So maybe to put some people's minds at ease and to save some spiders getting fried from poor heating-type arrangements, let's talk about what's the lowest we've allowed our temperature, our temperatures in our tarantula room or around our collection to dip. So that'll do it for this one. Um, this was kind of fun without having to worry about the kids running down and making fun of me for talking to a computer by myself. Um, although the dogs obviously got a little time in this one, but, uh, thanks so much for listening and we will catch you guys all next time.